I'm Mike Merrill, and I'm speaking with Kenning Associate Partner, Daryl Ogden. Hi, Mike. It's great to be here. Today, we're talking about types of new jobs. And Daryl, as I understand it, this is a very common concern that you have in your coaching practice. When people ask me about my job, what I do, and what are common leadership challenges that I help people with, transitioning to a new job is at or near the top of the list. That is such a common situation. And I'm often helping people that I've never met before. And I'm often helping people that I've known for years. I think you have found that transitions are some of the hardest things and new jobs are one of the hardest transitions. No question about it. Transitions are hard for anyone under any conditions, changing to a new job, even when that's a job that you really want and are excited about. And the folks that are recruiting you and hiring you are also excited about you. There's just an enormous amount of pressure about performing well in a new job. The people that I work with, generally speaking, are extremely high performers. They've been very successful in their careers. And even so, when they start a new job, they feel a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress associated with it. These hundreds of discussions that you've had with people about new jobs, I'm sure that they are all different. And yet I think you've identified four basic types that come up very frequently. Yeah, I think that there are four that thematically they're the most common. If I were going to describe those briefly, just a thumbnail of each of them, it's lateral moves within an organization, especially in large Fortune 500 kinds of companies, moving to another business unit or moving to another part of the broader organization. Secondly, when you get promoted within an organization, so you are now the boss of people, many of whom you were formerly a peer to, and now you are the top leader in that organization. There's a third kind of job that I frequently encounter because I work a lot with creative organizations. When a creative leader, somebody who loves making things and is is extremely artistic in orientation, suddenly they're being asked to lead an organization in some fashion or take on a broader leadership role. And the thing that they loved, they don't get to do as much anymore. There's almost a sense of loss associated with that kind of job. And then the fourth kind of job, and this is the one that probably people are most familiar with and think about in the popular consciousness the most, is just a new job where you're joining a new organization. And often that's associated with a promotion, but not necessarily. If you looked at the organization from the outside in, it would appear as though you have been promoted from, call it a vice president to a president role or from a president to a CEO role. You have described four types, and I'm sure there's a lot of similarity across these four types, but... I do want to dig into the differences. So let's start with the first, the inside lateral move, and tell us how can someone keep their head when they're stepping into a a new role? It's often the case that people are extremely surprised when they are remaining within the broader organization that they are part of, and they don't consider how much difference there is across the business units of large organizations. They think that they're staying with the same company that they have been employed by maybe for years. And what they discover is that almost essentially they are joining a new company. They may have a lot of familiarity with what I might call the macro culture of that organization. There's an overall dominant culture that organization has developed over many years. It's often an expression of the values of the organization, certainly of the strategy of the organization, et cetera. But the business units and the leadership of those business units is so 
different from one another. They often have very different purposes. They have very different audiences that they're serving. And they actually are just shocked that they're seemingly in a brand new company. What formerly worked in their previous role where they would say, oh, I really know this job extremely well. I know my company very well. I know how to get things done. I know how decisions are made. I know how authority is manifested. I know all these things. They move over to a new building, maybe next door, and it's as though they have moved to Mars. They can scarcely recognize the the new business unit that they've joined because it's just so different. They feel like Matt Damon and the Martian. Right. It's like, how do I grow my potatoes in this new garden? Exactly. And I think you suggest that there are two basic tools that a leader can employ to help them through this transition, to help them into this new job. And that's reflection and curiosity. Reflection and curiosity are features that we use really broadly in our leadership practice at Kinning. But I think reflection and curiosity are even more important when you're making a transition. It's often the case that folks have taken a leadership role in a new business unit, new company, et cetera. They believe that they've been hired because they know all the answers. They believe that they've been hired because they are experts at running the company, at at running organizations, at running teams, at problem solving, at building products, marketing products, whatever function or whatever role they've had in that company. And what I try to guide people to embrace is rather than entering into your new role, assuming that you have all the answers, is to try to enter your new role trying to find the right questions to ask, because there is so much to learn about how that organization functions, how it's successful, how meetings are run, how communications happen, how decisions are made, how people organize themselves, where they spend their time, what the difference is between productivity and activity. The list goes on and on. The only way that you can really learn that, or the the best way I think that you can learn that is to just get really big ears and to notice things and to get curious about as much as possible. So that's great advice about being curious, having big ears. I love that image, you know, be Mickey Mouse, ask a lot of questions. And then once you've done that, what do you do with all this data? Well, there's a range of things you can do, and it depends on how transparent you want to be with it. What I recommend that people do is that they gather that data in a very thoughtful process. That process can be quite formal in a sense where they actually are interviewing people and they're gathering the data in a almost a structured way. In other cases, it can be more informal. And, and part of that is dictated by the kind of organization that they've joined. If they come into a very informal organization and they begin a very formal process, that's probably not going to land very well. Whatever process you adopt, you want to try to match it to the style and the preferences of the organization that you're in. What I recommend that people do is is that they surround themselves with a group of trusted advisors within the organization with whom they can test what they've learned and to actually make it visible to folks and say, hey, this is what I think I'm noticing. This is what I think I'm observing. It seems like this organization works this way on the dimensions that I've talked about already. And to test that thinking, to test it and say, how much of this is right? How much is wrong? And what am I missing? 
just continuing in an iterative way in a very reflective, but also in a very energetic way, gathering the right information and testing it with the right people so that you can make adjustments to what you think you've learned. It's like two levels of reflection, one personal reflection, another sort of communal reflection. That's right. Exactly. And the communal reflection should ideally be with people, obviously who you trust, but people that know the org and can help you make sense of your blind spots relative to the org. And also, by the way, because you're coming to the org new, you may highlight things that they take for granted. So this is often uh, a process of reciprocity where you're coming in with a set of fresh eyes, a set of big ears, and you reflect back what you've learned. And it's often the case that I discover that the leaders that I work with, when they go through a process like this, they also surprise their colleagues with what they've noticed. Sometimes they've got information that they've misinterpreted, but sometimes they've got information that helps round out the blind spots that their colleagues have. So there's a very much a learning orientation here that helps you be reflective and invites your colleagues in to be reflective with you. In doing so, you very significantly expand what you collectively know. What I like to say, especially for people who have a problem-solving orientation, is that you very significantly expand the potential solution space of what you might decide to do going forward. If I only have my own solution space of my own very private system of acquiring information, I'm not going to see all the possibilities that I might elect in terms of the potential solutions. So that was the inside lateral move. I think your second type of new job was the inside promotion. I think this one is really interesting. This probably has more to do with interpersonal dynamics and the way that power and authority manifest themselves in a promotion. This is often the case where there's been somebody who's been on a leadership team and they have acquitted themselves extremely well on that leadership team. They have been maybe the second in command or the implicit second in command in, in an organization or on a team. And they now, because their boss is moving on to whatever they're transitioning to, they assume the responsibility and they take that promotion on. Sometimes that might be that they're joining a leadership team before they were managing people and now they're joining a leadership team. More often for me, because I work with top leaders and top teams in these promotions, the person who's being promoted is actually running the organization now. They have become the top leader of that organization. Two things really come to mind here. One, it's often the case that they are dealing with a very politically challenging context because other people wanted that job and they might've been competing with other people for that job, but they were the person that was chosen. And so they appear to be the winner, but depending on how that manifests itself, they might end up feeling like, what did I win? This was a bit of a Pyrrhic victory for me because I had these very close colleagues before I felt very much at the center of things. And now I stand apart and a little bit alone. And so this is the second feature, which people often deal with is a sense of loneliness, a sense of isolation. That is often surprising to people when they take a top job. A lot of times folks think that this is the culmination of everything that they've worked for, you know, every test that they studied for in school, 
every new school that they were able to matriculate into, every new job that they got. All the time, it was pointing towards this top job. Now they've got it and they feel a sense of loneliness. And that actually accentuates the importance of our coaching relationship because I might be one of a few people that they can talk to honestly and candidly about their feelings on this front. So now they are making decisions for the organization. They're making decisions about everyone else's promotion and compensation and the products that they're going to decide to push forward and the ones that they're going to kill and any number of things where before they had friends on the leadership team that were their peers, the relationship frankly, fundamentally changes. And if it doesn't change, that's also a problem. So if they try to retain the same kind of friendships that they had before, that will lead to uh, different kinds of circumstances because inevitably they're going to make decisions that are going to upset their friends that they're now leading. Is one of the possible ways of dealing with this, ameliorating it, the communal council that you discussed before, like reshaping relationships? Yeah, I think that it really, it, it is that. And so we talked about transitions into new jobs. This is also about transitioning relationships and in essentially resetting relationships in a way that doesn't feel heavy handed or ideally hierarchical, but also recognizes the distinctions that have now been made in terms of a hierarchy that does exist. It's very dangerous for top leaders not to acknowledge the hierarchy that does exist regardless of how collaborative or how team-oriented or how non-hierarchical they may be stylistically, the hierarchy still does exist. And leaders that try to essentially make those differences disappear or make those distinctions disappear or they ignore them, they ignore them at their peril, I think. So that's an inside promotion. I believe your third type of new job was Taking a job in the company you're currently employed by, probably a promotion, but in any case, one that you're not thrilled about. I, I like to call this colloquially is just, this is the job you don't want. It looks like to everyone from the outside that this is a huge promotion for you. And it's a recognition of everything that you've done. You're on your way. You're going to be you know, running the organization someday. This is you laddering up to that next opportunity. And for you, for all intents and purposes, it might as well be a demotion. Because although you, you may be getting a larger salary and bigger benefits, and you may have more power and authority over people and over decisions in the organization, you're actually not spending your time doing the thing that you love to do. And again, this happens most frequently for people who love to implement and execute. And now they find themselves in a higher level role where they are forming strategy and vision. They're setting goals and they're pointing the organization towards that set of strategic goals, but they don't get to do stuff anymore. They loved doing stuff. They loved problem solving. They loved working directly with the teams. They loved rolling up their sleeves. And now that's not available to them anymore. So I've moved up. I'm a creative person who's been moved into a leadership role. I'm no longer making things. I'm managing people and planning and so forth. Which of the two tools? Is it reflection or curiosity that I can use best? I think that those are always going to be important, but this is a situation actually where I would just think about design. I would actually introduce the idea of design principles, especially for creative people who have made things, created things, been very innovative. I try to encourage those leaders to actually bring the same 
creativity and innovation to their new job. There may be a stereotypical sense or a conventional sense of what their new job is, that they're the creative director of a large creatively oriented organization. They're now the creative director. So they're setting the creative vision for the organization. Sounds great. But if you like to make things when you're a creative director, you're not making things. You're basically setting the template for what other people are going to make. So what I encourage them to do is to essentially bring the same kind of creativity to their own job and not to make it necessarily either or. And it may be that as a creative director, for instance, you decide that you're going to design your job in a more artistic way, in a less conventionally executive driven way, that you're going to incorporate each day creative activities that are going to actually stimulate your ability to think in terms of vision and strategy, but they don't follow a conventional approach. And for each creative leader, that's going to look and feel differently. It's not for me to tell them, hey, this is what the creativity looks like, but it's to stimulate a conversation where they see, oh, I can actually express my creativity in this almost meta way. I can make my job part of the creative production that I do. This is less about reflection and curiosity, and it's more about abstracting their creativity and their design sense to think about their job in those terms. So that's the specific advice you give to creative people who have been moved up to a new role. What about the broader spectrum of people who may have moved from, say, a managerial position to an executive role? It's often the case that my colleagues and I, we get engaged to help somebody make the shift from being a manager to being, I'll call it a leader or an executive. It's a bit similar to the creative function jobs. People who are managerial types and who are really accomplished at management, they love doing things. They love being in the fray. They love being close to the team. They like rolling up their sleeves and doing stuff, you know, producing content, producing analysis, producing different kinds of analytics. Now they're essentially told, no, you're in a different stage in your career. You're not doing that anymore. So there's a sense of loss that they have, that they can't do the thing that they love anymore. We're often trying to help in those kinds of promotions. They got a job that they thought that they wanted. They thought that they wanted to be an executive, but they discovered, oh, wait, I don't get to do stuff in quite the same way. Again, that is often a very isolating and lonely experience because they're so used to being close to a team of doing things. And now they often find themselves more alone or with many fewer people than they had contact with before thinking higher level thoughts on behalf of the organization and on behalf of the teams that they formerly led. In a way, that's a trickier one than the creative leader, because there's no real way for that executive to do things in the same way as they did before. They actually have to let something go. It's almost at times in coaching, there are some similarities with therapy, but it's almost like grief counseling in a sense for people who have to let go of the execution orientation of their jobs. And then we have to find other rewards. We have to find other benefits besides the ones that are the most obvious, you know, apparently higher status in the organization, increased compensation, et cetera. Those are the obvious things, but those aren't the things that give people a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose and finding what their new sense of purpose is as executives, as opposed to managers is the key to that work. 
we've discussed the three types of internal job changes that you often speak to people about. What about being hired from an outside company? I think a feature of all of these jobs, and it's particularly true of this one, is that you often are hired for the job that you did before rather than hired for the job that you're going to do. That is often surprising to people. People often think that they were hired because what they've been doing qualifies them for the new job. What they discover, especially when they join a new organization, and and this is something that they obviously want to keep from everybody from discovering, is that they discover that they're unqualified for their new job. They experience a version of imposter syndrome. How did I end up in this job? Especially if the sense is, is that they were promoted into that job, meaning that they were at one level in their previous job, and now they're in a new company and they've been elevated. It's not a lateral move, but it's a promotion outside their company. What's absolutely critical in a situation like this is that they do essentially a cultural immersion. One of my partners, Annie Howell, she often talks about becoming an anthropologist of the organizations that you join. I think that is exactly right. But you're not just an anthropologist who's looking from the outside in at your organization, you're in the organization itself. So not only are you studying the organization and learning the organization and doing this cultural immersion, but you are also contributing to it. There are some tricky things there, but it's very rare that anybody would move from one organization to another and they would say, oh, the culture here is so similar. It's the same. I've probably heard that one in a hundred times, 99 out of a hundred times. What I hear is I thought that these companies would be much more similar. They seem like they operate in the same space or they seem like they're in the same industry, but they're nothing alike. My God, what company did I join? And they feel like they're a stranger in a strange land. They wonder how they got there. And so now they have to navigate all of the differences in the culture that they discover, the way that decisions are made, the way that meetings are conducted, the way communications happens, what people do informally to pass knowledge between each other. Is it very top-down or very horizontal in terms of the organization structure, et cetera, et cetera. The, the list goes on forever. So they have to navigate all of that and they have to perform well. The recruiting process that they've gone through has often put them right at the center of the universe. They have been wined and dined. They have been cultivated. They have been told that they walk on water. And then when they arrive in their new organization, more often than anyone would like to admit, they discover they have clay feet. There's no walking on water. So in my role is just to try to help people get oriented into this new strange world that they now have joined and to help them make sense of that new organization. You previously mentioned this experience as being like the Martian, and now you cite stranger in a strange land, continuing our interplanetary theme. All joking aside, it really sounds like the experience of taking on a new job can be truly alienating. I, I think you're right. There's a lot of anxiety attached to it. In some cases, people get very energized by their transition. And if that happens, then I just fit into the slipstream of what they're experiencing and the momentum carries us forward in our work together. But in other cases, I am working with people who are actually going through mild depression or a sense of loss of what they had. And I think that your description of that as an experience of alienation really captures that. And so... What we're trying to do is to remove that sense of alienation and make them feel 
very much a part of the new organization, but that's easier said than done. And it often takes a longer time than we would believe. But just to, to return to our original theme about reflection and curiosity, when you join a new company, this is when you really need to maximize your curiosity and really need to maximize your reflection and not be in a reactive space. You have to figure out to what degree does the organization that you've joined require you to be the change or are they looking for continuity in some way and that you can help them achieve their goals aligned with their current culture and aligned with their current strategy. Leaders need to really understand to what degree they are asked to be a change agent. If the company that's recruited them has recruited them for continuity and for growth along the same trajectory that they're already on, but maybe it's accelerated because they're very talented people, then that's one thing. If an organization has recruited a leader to be a change agent, that's quite a different proposition. And so the curiosity that you're expressing as a leader in each of those instances has very different consequences. If you're being recruited as a change agent, the curiosity you have about the current org is about probably what you are learning about what you want to change and what you want to alter, what you would like to transform. If you're being recruited for continuity, it's about adhering to that organization culture and learning that organization culture and joining it and adding your voice to it in a way that is harmonious. Well, I think a lot of times when we take on a new job, we're full of hope. We're full of the sense of promise. And then we often find almost immediately or sometimes over a few months, oh, this is much more challenging and more difficult, more fraught than I had imagined. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. What we're trying to do is make sure that we highlight that as a possibility so that leaders are not surprised by that. And then to engage in practices that will minimize the sense of alienation or fraughtness that you're describing and allow those leaders to accelerate into their leadership in a way, likely by going slower at first than they think they need to. There's a long held principle in many different fields about go slow to go fast. And I think that could not be more true about most leadership roles, as long as the organization that leaders are joining is not in some kind of existential crisis. Most organizations are not in existential crises. And so therefore that principle of going slow and gathering information in a curious, reflective way, and then making sense of that information with your colleagues, testing your thinking, and then driving forward with whatever is going to make sense for the strategy, vision, execution of the organization. Generally speaking, that serves leaders well. Daryl, thank you for your time today. I'm sure that many people out there looking to enter a new job or recently having entered new jobs have learned a lot. I hope that this is helpful. And this was a compressed version of conversations that I have all the time with leaders. And so hopefully this is an efficient way to get access to those approaches. If someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they best do it? Just visit the uh, team page on the Kenyan Associates website. There's a field there that folks can just reach out directly to me. Thanks again, Daryl. Thanks, Mike.